Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. It's Adam Justice. Today on part one of a two-part episode, we dive into what smart home products Richard has in his home. We wanted to give you, the listeners, a feel for what we use in our daily lives. Maybe even give you an idea or two of products you might enjoy and add to your own home. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Smart Home Show. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined by my co-host Adam Justice from ConnectSense, and today we're going to talk about how we're using smart home technology in our own homes. But as usual, before we get into the smart home talk, I have a question for Adam to open the show. Adam, I follow you on Pinterest and on Twitter, and I see all the time Pictures of your shoes, usually sneakers, sometimes on the bulkhead of the first row of a plane. What is that all about? Thanks for the question. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in the 90s in Chicago. So we're talking peak Bulls, peak Michael Jordan era. And my family did not have a ton of money. There were kind of two two things combined. So one, we didn't have a ton of money as I was growing up. I also had giant feet that grew throughout my teenage years, throughout <laughs> this kind of peak uh, desired sneaker era. era. Um, from age 10 to 15, I was the same age as my shoe size. So my mother and, and father, of course, were like, like hell, we're buying you expensive Michael <laughs> Jordan sneakers. Uh, and I think these kinds of things, when there's something you can't have when you're a kid, when you do have the means to acquire those things later in life, uh, you know, it then becomes a, a habit like this. So I had a friend in college who was super crazy about Transformers. And when he got to be an adult, he started collecting Transformers toys. So I think this is kind of my thing like that. And then, I don't know, there's just always something about a a, a nice and new pair of, of sneakers that that puts a smile on my face and uh that i enjoy wearing them i you know i definitely my wife always gives me crap because we'll be out walking around and i'll get compliments on my shoes she doesn't get compliments on her shoes <laughs> so I, it's just something i i like doing and uh have enjoyed doing it i used to be a little bit crazier than i was uh but i've slowed down a bit and then yeah i i don't know i I always wear sneakers whenever I travel and stuff like that. I fly Southwest and I don't know, I just got in this habit of uh, whenever I'm in that first row in Southwest, I, I <laughs> take a picture on Instagram and post it on other various social networks. It's kind of my signature uh, picture. And the funny story about that too 
was one day I'm in the front row or whatever. I'm part of my, you know, process when I get on the plane, I'm, I'm getting my picture, uh, of my sneakers against the wall. And the girl next to me looks at me kind of weird and throws her feet up there and takes her picture. And she's like, really? Like I've seen, I found someone else that does this. And this girl, I don't know, had it. And sure enough, she shared her Instagram and there she had a bunch of pictures of shoes on the wall too. That's kind of funny. It's not just me. There are others like me. Okay. So let's put a number on this craziness. How many pairs of sneakers do you own? I generally don't count for a good reason, but uh, I I would say it's probably in the 40-ish range. Okay. So they don't have their own closet yet. No. No. And I don't (laughs) intend it to be like that, too. So... Uh, yeah, I try to keep it under control. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And for the listeners out there, if you want to submit a question for us, for us to open the show with, you can send us a question with the hashtag ask Adam and Richard out on, I guess, either Pinterest or Twitter, right? Or do you just want to stick with Twitter, Adam? We'll stick with Twitter. I think that's where we pull them from. So, okay. So Adam sneakers on Pinterest and our questions will be out on Twitter. So let's get into our discussion. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I also think that this is going to help establish a baseline for us and for the listeners to get a feel for our respective personal experiences with products. We talk a lot about all the different products out there, but How much of these things do we actually use? I'm a little bit device envious of your list, Adam, because it's about twice as long as mine. I think you probably have more devices. You just have more concentrated in certain categories. I just have more of a hodgepodge of things in in my house. (laughs) Okay. All right. I guess we'll see. So, you know, when I was looking at the different devices that I have in my home, I think I could probably break them out into three different categories. Things that are for daily use. And I'd call these the devices that are in production, if you will. I use them as part of the our, our, our daily or weekly or however often home experience. Then there are things that I might have purchased to test or I have some interest in them. So I've just gotten some devices that I can try out just so that I have some experience and I understand, you know, how they perform and things like that. And then I have the third category of devices, which is devices that I have for review. So these are almost in, in most cases, temporarily in my house because I have review units from a vendor that they want me to try out and talk about and oftentimes then return when we're done with or give them away to a listener. Interesting question. Something to hit on when you're going through your list. I'd love to know if any of these were devices that you got in for review and then went on to purchase. Ah, that is a good question. Okay. I will keep that in mind because that has absolutely happened. So... (laughs) Let's start with my daily use products. And I'm really going to focus on daily use and the things that I'm reviewing. So the first category that I'm going to talk about in here is lighting and lighting control. 
And I think I've mentioned on this show before that my primary lighting system is Insteon. Insteon is a technology that came out of Smart Labs, the company that owns smarthome.com. They saw that people loved X10, but X10 had lots of flaws. And they had some really smart people on board that were EEs that wanted to do a better job at smart lighting. And they came up with Insteon. And Insteon has been around for, I guess, about 12 years now. And I probably was a year one user of their devices in my last home. And when we moved, I made the decision to stick with Insteon in the new house. I probably have somewhere on the lines of 80 to 90 switches in the wall or plug-in modules or in-wall keypads that take the same form factor as like a Decora switch or sensors like motion sensors or door sensors, things like that. So pretty much of an investment in Insteon there. The problem with Insteon is that currently it is not necessarily an island, but it doesn't integrate with everything else as nicely as most Insteon users would like it to. That's probably going to change in the next year or two, but currently Insteon is somewhat of an island. Now, as far as lighting itself, I don't really use a lot of smart lighting except for switches themselves. So for my bulbs, I just have regular bulbs. But when I moved into the house, and I'm curious if you've done this in your home, Adam, when I moved into my house, one of my first objectives was get rid of as many of the existing halogen and uh, traditional light bulb, incandescent light bulbs that were still around the house. And there were tons and tons of them. Yeah, we, I, w- I wish I could say we had done a better job at this. I think probably just recently, my wife kind of said like, Adam, we have light we have light bulbs out all over the house. We need to take care of this. And I like finally did some research. Uh, I think probably went on wire cutter is where I ended up. Found out what to do, you know, what to pick LED wise. Cause I'd had a lot of trouble with really crap LEDs. You know, these are supposed mm-hmm. to be last for 10 years or whatever. The ones I got at the hardware store or whatever, just cheap and didn't last even a year were less reliable than the old stuff. And so I really wanted to get something reliable and, and, you know, be more consistent about what I bought. So I bought a bunch from Home Depot. Um, I don't remember the brand, the brand off the top of my head, but look at the wire cutter. Um, if you want to know what that is, but, um, so yeah, I'm trying to be more intentional, but I would say I'm very much like you in terms of smart lighting that for the most part, my view is to replace anytime there's more than one bulb. Um, I'm typically going to put in a switch Mm -hmm. rather than smart lighting. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's easier to control it that way. Of course, the diff- the exception might be if you want color-changing bulbs. I'll get to that in a second. I had two motivations for the LED lighting. One was just to uh, – I've been kind of like a lighting geek for the last 10 or so years, and I was an early LED lighting adopter way back in the terrible days of inconsistent color quality and inconsistent color temperatures. Now we have – 
so many good options and dimmable options. And what my recommendation is, regardless of what brand you select, is to try and buy bulbs that dim. And if possible, try and get bulbs that have a warm dimming feature, which means that as you turn it down, as it gets more and more dim, the the bulb gets a little bit more and more yellow, just because that's what our eyes are used to with traditional lighting. And when you dim an LED light, it ends up looking a little bit murky if it doesn't have that warm dimming. It just kind of feels cold. So that's something to consider. And uh, my my go-to on that is Rykrist over at CNET, who does a ton of different lighting tests. And he has some recommendations there as well. Now, on the color side, I adopted Hue color bulbs, and I was a little late into that. I had actually purchased some for a friend before I bought some for myself. But in the new house, I created kind of like a wall of color with some wall washer ceiling fixtures and uh, replaced all those bulbs so that when they go on, then I can change the color to something dim for like movie night and stuff like that. So that's in the family room. And that and a strip above my... Uh, my bookcase and my office are really the only things that I have in terms of color changing lights. And like you said, it's largely because I'd much rather just be able to control stuff from a switch. And we're just not quite there yet in terms of that capability. Yeah, I think um, so. Hue was actually probably one of my first connected devices. My my mother-in-law, I think, got them for me for Christmas or birthday, like the year they came out, and they were an Apple Store only kind of thing. And so we just had them around the house kind of as experimenting. And, you know, I guess the problem with connected bulbs, anywhere where there's a switch, is that you then have to have the, the conversation with your spouse of these are the light <laughs> yep. switches we're not allowed to use anymore, Yep. Um, which that new Lutron Aurora finally fixes that problem. It does if you have dimmable bulbs. It doesn't solve the problem if if you just have uh, bulbs that you want to change for color purposes, right? You still have to figure out how you're going to handle that. But uh, yeah, that, that Aurora control, I really do like that. Now, I have that same problem a bunch of bulbs in the ceiling on a regular switch in my kitchen on a, a group of products that I was testing called Stack Lighting. And Stack Lighting was a company, notice that I said was, a company that created white tunable lights that had all kinds of sensors in them. And based on whether there was motion under them, based on the ambient light and based on how you identified you were using them and the time of day, the intensity and the color temperature on those bulbs change constantly throughout the day. I loved these things, but I do long-term in-home reviews, which means that I don't typically review something unless I've lived with it for about six months. And then... At the time that I was ready to write the review, Stack completely pivoted what they were doing and went into lighting and sensors for aging facilities. So they no longer sell consumer product anymore. And I have these awesome lights that I'm just 
really hoping don't die someday because they do depend on a cloud connected hub. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And as far as I know, no one that's doing white tunable lighting is doing this the kind of thing that they did as well. Nobody's really doing this thing where it changes the not just the color temperature, but also the brightness and uh, adapts to people in the room or out of the room and stuff like that. So uh, that, in my opinion, is a real gap because that was a great product. I absolutely loved it. Now, one of my favorite things for lighting is just plain old motion sensors or motion sensor switches, not even necessarily connected ones. I have found that like a good Lutron motion sensing switch or dimmer in hallways and closets and powder rooms and in particular the laundry room just are a real saver of effort and and um, just frustration because how many times do you walk into the laundry room with your hands full of stuff and you're trying to find the switch in the dark or whatever. And with closets, same thing. You just open the door and boom, the light goes on. Really, really convenient. I highly recommend these types of products. And like I said, they don't even need to be connected. Just having them there makes a big difference. And then finally, I I wanted to mention the LED lights that I have out on my deck. I don't know about you, Adam, but we have like... These little, I guess they're not little, they're like the C9, the old style Christmas bulb lights along the edge of our deck that we pretty much leave out all year long. And I noticed that a number of other homes along the river do end up putting their lights on kind of year round. So we started doing that as well. And I used to have regular old C9 bulbs, incandescent bulbs. I had three strips of 25 bulbs each. That's 75 bulbs at seven watts a piece. That's over 500 watts that I was turning on every night for a good number of hours year round. And I did the math and I was spending something close to a hundred dollars a year in electricity just for those silly little lights on the deck. So I made the investment in outdoor LED C9s. And I'm not talking about a string of LED lights because they're pretty cheap. These are replacement bulbs for C9s that are all LED. And I had to buy 75 of them. Cost me about 75 bucks. But within a year, I'll recoup that because basically I'm saving about $70 a year in electricity just by using the LED lights instead of the incandescents. Very cool. Yeah, good to good to realize those kinds of uh, power hogs where they exist. Because you don't think of it, right? They're just, yep. you know, it's just a string of Christmas lights. How much energy is that going to take? Exactly. All right, let's move on to other areas around the home. So for HVAC, my home is really complicated. Un- seemingly unnecessarily complicated. I have three separate cooling zones, and then I have radiator heat that's all zoned as well. So I have eight different heating zones. Interestingly, those don't cleanly overlap. And so when I started thinking about how I was going to 
automate some of my HVAC, I started doing the math on what it was going to cost for smart thermostats and quickly put an end to that line of thinking. And so what I've done is I've, I've essentially replaced just the cooling zones and where the cooling zone overlaps with a local heating zone that I'm also controlling that heating from the same thermostat. So I have two Nest thermostats, a generation two and a generation three. And then I have the Ecobee-3 in another zone. I used to have two Ecobee-3s, but one of them died. I, I had a problem where it wasn't controlling the air conditioning anymore. And so I ended up deciding that, okay, this is a good time for me to try the new Nest. And the new Nest has the sensor on it. So I bought the sensor and it actually works really well. I'm very happy with the new Nest and the sensor. The way it handles the sensor is a little bit different than the Ecobee, but the sensor connection has been far more reliable for me than the Ecobee sensor connection. Very cool. And then I have some ceiling fans out in my sunroom. And the two that I have in there, I think are probably original to the sunroom. So maybe 50. 10 or 15 years old. I think that's when the sunroom was built and they finally died. And I didn't feel like trying to repair them. I've been wanting to replace them with new fans. And just today <laughs> I bought two new Haiku fans that I'm going to use to replace the old standard fans. Now Haiku fans are made by big ass fans and they're a very good brand. They are in a lot of professional facilities, a lot of commercial facilities. And I wanted to basically get fans that were going to be part of some sort of connected ecosystem as well. And they work with Amazon. They work with Google. They even work with Nest. So I'm hoping to get that installed before that gets turned off because I do have a Nest in the sunroom. So I'm hoping that they'll be able to work well together. That's my weekend project, I think, is installing the two new fans. Always, always a blast installing ceiling fans. Oh, it's such a pain. So for your other heating zones that you don't have a thermostat for, those are just manually controlled? Yep. Those are just dumb old thermostats. And I tried to replace them with a new thermostat. Like I got the Nest E thinking that, oh, I'll get a cheaper version and I'll try it on one of the zones. And I don't it. I don't have the ability to wire it up the way I need to because I only have two wires, and it unfortunately the way my system works is, although it has twenty four volts available on that line, which is what you need to operate a thermostat. Once it turns on, it drops the voltage that's coming to the thermostat, and so I had a thermostat that was like flickering on and off and on and off and on and off. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. And I had the heating people look at it and they're like, yeah, it's not worth trying to rewire that. So I'm just going to keep that the way it is. Yeah. Makes sense. Now also having to do with keeping the house cooler or warmer, I've replaced some of the shades in our house with smart shades or smart blinds. So in my office, I have the Lutron Serena shades so the Serena shades I actually bought because they were one of the only shade solutions that worked with the old Staples hub. 
And I was one of the early adopters of the Staples Hub. I loved that thing. Since I've just connected them to the Lutron Bridge, and they work really, really well, I actually have them set up with a HomeKit routine that, based on the temperature in my room, will close the shades if it gets too hot. And then around other areas of the home that get direct sunlight during certain parts of the day, I've retrofitted a number of wood blinds with a kit called My Smart Blinds. And I've talked about these a little bit before on Home On. My Smart Blinds is about $100, $120 for this kit that you install yourself. You do a little bit of a retrofit on the top rail of blinds that are two inches wide or wider. And it allows you to turn the blinds. It doesn't lift them for you, but most people don't end up lifting the blinds anyway. They just turn them closed or opened. And so what that does is it has smarts on board that you can set with an app so that if it gets too hot, then the blinds will automatically close. And then they'll open up again when it gets cooler or you can set it on a schedule so that they close at a certain time of day or night and open again if you want to. So those are really nice. And I, I like those. Those are also Bluetooth connected and they came out with a hub or they call it a bridge now, which that's probably more accurate around a year ago. And that bridge is designed to allow you to use your voice assistance and in the future, other platforms to be able to control the blinds. Unfortunately, the range on it is just miserable. So I have it in my bedroom with to be as close as possible to the blinds that are in my bedroom, and it can control those, but it can't control the blinds in the room directly across the hall or anywhere else in the house. So I'm kind of a, a hard yes on my smart blinds and a hard no on their bridge because for what it costs, by the way, $90, which is more than it costs to buy smart things, they're their connectivity and range on that thing is just really, really poor. Yeah. I mean, that can be one of the challenges with Bluetooth stuff in general. I mean, I guess it all depends on what chipsets they're using and things like that. But because um, it should be better than that, you should be able to get the ones across the hall. But um, but yeah, that can definitely be a challenge. Yeah. I actually have a funny story about my smart blinds. Um, I probably heard it on your show or, you know, heard your strong recommendations and uh, I supported, they did a Kickstarter Indiegogo for that bridge and, and some blinds. And so yep. I was like, all right, this sounds cool. Uh, this sounds great. I backed that. I got a couple of their kits and eventually the uh, the bridge and uh, got them home and looked around and I was like, oh, crap. I don't have any blinds in this house. I had blinds in my old house. <laughs> I have no blinds in my current house. So I had nothing yeah. to use them on, and uh, that became the benefit of my brother-in-law, who has like all my hand-me-down gear and anything I don't want or something I test and don't want. He's like, "Yep, I'll take it, whatever." So he's enjoying the Mind Smart blinds now that I bought. That's a good deal for him. Yeah, for us, it was an excuse to replace the 
ugly old metal mini blinds that were on every window in this house. So as we are automating the different rooms, we're also replacing the blinds or shades that were in those rooms at the time. So that's pretty much it for kind of the basics. I'm going to veer off a little bit into the kitchen. In the uh, in the past, I've talked about Smart Kitchen. Our first kind of bridge episode with Mike was uh, a discussion about kitchen technology. And a couple of the devices that I have in my kitchen, I consider part of my smart home because they're connected devices. One of them is the Anova Wi-Fi sous vide cooker. And I don't know if anyone has ever tried cooking sous vide. I don't know if you have, Adam, but I'm a big fan of it. It's basically cooking in a water bath. And instead of grilling something at a very high temperature or baking something at a high temperature to until it gets to the temperature that you want, you essentially immerse food in a watertight bag in the temperature that you want it to be. And because of equilibrium and physics, it eventually ends up being that temperature. And so you get a really good cook on things like chicken and beef and pork that are otherwise sometimes really hard to cook well. So that that's something that I enjoy. And the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth versions of this have an app that allow you to get notified when it's done and select different recipes and stuff like that. Then I have a smart oven. I was one of the backers for the Tavala smart oven on Kickstarter. And I wrote a very lengthy review of that on the spoon. I have a love-hate relationship with my smart oven. It's very convenient. I wish it did more. So when it dies, I'm probably going to buy a June or something along those lines. But I like having the the smart oven. I just wish I wish I didn't have to use my app as much. And I wish it had some capabilities that it doesn't have yet. And then finally, I bought the GE Wi-Fi microwave when it came out. I think Stacy talked about this on her show. And before the episode was over, I had clicked buy. <laughs> that, that's the dangerous thing about these things. And I'm, I apologize in advance to our listeners whose wallets hurt after this episode. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. That can happen. I, I like this a lot. You can, if if you have like dirty hands and, You've managed to use your knuckle to open the door, but you then don't want to touch the keypad or anything. You can just kind of slam the door shut and then tell your assistant to cook for two minutes or something along those lines. You can tell it to stop. It also has an app where you can scan the barcode on different frozen foods and it will uh, automatically set the cook cycle for it on the uh, device. So it's a pretty convenient tool. I hope they continue to improve that because it has some frustrating aspects to it, but it was only like 129 bucks. So it was almost like the Wi-Fi part of it was free for the size of the microwave. Nice. Now, Adam, you and I have talked about your big, new, beautiful television. And I have television envy, envy because I have the smaller, older version of your television. Yes. I have the LG B6. That is one of the earlier OLEDs from LG. 
And I have a number of things connected to that that, again, I think of as part of my smart home because a lot of these things are connected either through apps or through IFTT or something like that. So connected to that, I have... Uh, or actually, I should say I have that connected to an AV receiver. And I've talked in the past about how I have Atmos sound in my family room. So it's a connected, Atmos-capable Pioneer AV receiver. And then to that, I've connected an Apple TV, my Xbox, and I just bought a Fire TV actually a day before they went on sale on Prime Day. And I bought it at the physical store, which is a hassle to get to. So I I can't even do the thing where I'm like, well, I'm going to return this and then just buy. So I, I'm kind of frustrated by that. You should have known Prime Day was coming. Yeah, I should have known. But it was the first time that I was in the Georgetown Amazon bookstore. And I just, it, it's, I, I kind of got obsessed. I figured I was lucky to get out of there for 50 bucks. <laughs> There you go. Now, I use a smart remote to connect all this stuff. I use the Harmony Smart Control, which is the screen list, just a lot of buttons remote that connects to a hub and can also control smart home stuff. So I have all the scenes that turn on my TV also set that if it is after sunset, then it's going to turn on like the movie lights in the room so that it, it has adequate lighting and it can do stuff like that. And I, I like this remote a lot. This is actually my favorite connected or smart remote right now. And I was previously using Cavo that I had purchased as soon as it was available. The Cavo smart control thing that I think was, was $99 compared to their original $399 product. And this household rejected Cavo. So we're back to the Harmony smart control. And by that, you mean your partner said no more. Actually, he said, when the bleep are we getting rid of this bleeping thing? <laughs> yeah. And I was frustrated with the two for a variety of reasons. Now, for audio, I have Sonos around the house. So we have a number of Sonos speakers, and then I have Sonos Connect devices, which allow you to hook up your own speakers. And this house has speakers built in in a ton of rooms. So I have a number of those also hooked into the Sonos speaker system, which is kind of nice, kind of convenient. I like doing that. In fact, I just hooked up one to my AV receiver this past weekend so that I can now kind of simulcast the audio from whatever we're watching throughout the house if we wanted to do that or the other way around that we can have the AV receiver sync and play whatever all of the other speakers are playing around the house in terms of audio. Nice. Yeah. I mean, this is one that I experimented with a little bit, but never really got all in on the, the Sonos life. I mean, it, something like that sounds awesome and, and I'm, would totally be all about it, but uh, it just never kind of worked for me. And all my Sonos then ended up in our office, which get used in the back room and shipping and stuff like that. So they found a good home. Yeah. I don't remember if you've met my friend and uh, college roommate, Chris from past conferences or not, but I blame him because he was a Sonos early adopter. I, resisted and resisted and resisted and finally gave up after he was on my show talking about his smart home stuff. 
There you go. Well, I, I mean, I think they're cool products, and I actually know a couple people at Sonos, very nice people. And I, I think for me, it never just clicked early on enough, and now the more the voice speakers make more sense. And I don't know, we just don't listen to enough audio or enough kind of music around the house either to to really justify it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We we kind of always have something on at some point in time. All right. Now I'm going to take a look at things like cameras and security and protection. So you asked me, is there anything that I had purchased after testing it? The Ring doorbell is the first of those. I had a long-term test of the first generation Ring doorbell. And while I was testing it, I liked it so much, even before I wrote the review, that I went out and bought one myself, took the one they gave me off the door, put the one on that I that I had bought, and just worked with that from then on. And I love the thing. I absolutely love it. I know that opinions are split on the industrial design for ring doorbells. I personally think that they did a good job with it. What I liked about the first generation is that it came in additional finishes than just silver and bronze. You could get a brass version, and I think they had a black version, if I remember correctly, and all of the hardware on our front door is brass. So anything other than brass was just going to get rejected, and it did. And so once I got the gold one, or, or brass one, then it fits better and everybody's happier now. But I I think it's a good product. Even the first gen, which you can pretty regularly find online for like under $90 if you want to buy it. And they still even make it. They, they still have this available to buy. So it's good stuff. And then over the years, I've tested a number of different ring cameras and I've just continued to install them around my home and keep them. These are all things that I've just bought so that I could write about it. And um, these were not testers like the doorbell was. So I have the ring spotlight cam. I have the ring floodlight cam and the, the ring stick up cam all, all around my home. I also bought the blink cameras that you see on sale all the time at Amazon. Amazon owns that company now. Blink cameras are really cool just because they give you the ability to um, like have a camera outside without any sort of connection to it. It's entirely wireless, and it runs on lithium AA batteries that they say last two years. I don't know how you get two years out of them. Mine last maybe four or five months, which is fine. I mean, I, I still think that's good. I put one outside so I could spy on whatever it was that was eating at my yard. I think I've talked about that before. And once I figured out, oh, great, we have deer that visit us every single night and just camp out. Uh, they ate all my grass and they ate most of the bushes in this one yard area that we have. Now I can't figure out how to get rid of them. We've tried pellets. We've tried everything. Can't get rid of the deer. But hey, I get nice pictures of them all the time. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I'm really interested as uh, Amazon merges 
uh, or takes some of the technology from Blink and pulls it into Ring stuff. Um, because I think that super low power technology that they have in the chipset, which is probably what they bought Blink for, um, would be really well applied across some of the Ring cameras. I agree. I agree. And it'll be interesting to see how long Blink kind of stays its own thing. Or if at some point in time, they're going to incorporate the technology and kind of retire Blink. Notably, the Blink doorbell that they announced just before the acquisition still has not surfaced. And that was over a year and a half ago. Yeah, I would think we're never going to see that. And they'll just pull that pull that technology into ring and use the stronger, stronger brand of the two. Yeah, I would think that that is the case as well. Now... I do have a security system that we just had installed. I had an, a nasty old ADT system, had to get rid of that, and I replaced it with an alarm.com-based system. I looked at a lot of different services, a lot of different systems. I don't particularly like any of them, but I wanted one that had professional installation that could reuse a lot of the sensors that I already had. And I wanted one that had professional monitoring that didn't require any sort of uh, long-term contract. So I have all of that in the system that I have. Unfortunately, their only smart home interface kind of, or the only way that you can use the alarm.com smart home stuff is if it's the master controller. Yeah. So, for example, if you have Z-Wave stuff, you have to forfeit your own Z-Wave hub and have their system control your Z-Wave stuff because Z-Wave can only be connected to one hub. Interestingly enough, they take the same approach for some other third-party devices too, like the MyQ garage door opener. I installed a MyQ garage door opener couple months ago, and I figured, great, they can add it to my alarm.com system. Set up the app, works fine. Hey, can you add this? Yeah, if we do, you won't be able to use your app anymore. What? Wait, what? So if alarm.com controls your MyQ opener, then the MyQ app and any other integrations it would have will not work. That stinks. And I've confirmed that both with alarm.com and with Chamberlain. That is just ridiculous and i can see no good technical reason for that whatsoever hmm. interesting the only thing i can think is that they they wanted to be able to like not have to worry about state changing and yeah not being the 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 source of that change yeah that was going to be my guess as to why they have to do that because otherwise you have sync problems yeah but there's a sensor on the door so you know if the door is open or not Anyway, uh, whatever. Very frustrating. So I just kept that independent. I did not connect that to my alarm.com system. I also have independently some Nest Protects. So I have two Nest Protect uh, smoke detectors. I think they're second gen. I, I don't believe. Actually, one of them is first gen and one of them is second gen. And I haven't had any problems with those. Of course, the first gen devices did get a firmware update that allowed that solved the 
the problem of them turning off if you happen to escape your burning home like a cartoon character (laughs) with your arms waving in the air. I can't imagine anyone really did that, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So I like those. You know, they do their job as far as I know. I mean... I haven't had any false alarms, so that's good. And I it, I always get the little green confirmation from it, so I like that. And then um, to power all this stuff, you need good Wi-Fi. For sure. And of course, in my home, I don't know if I've talked about this on this show, but I certainly have on Home On, I have a one-level home. So, you know, I talked about three zones. So this is basically just a long, thin home. And from one end to the other, you're never getting a Wi-Fi signal. So I had to have some something mesh. And when I installed mine, all of the cool stuff like Eero and all these other things didn't even exist. So I went kind of old school mesh and I bought a Ubiquiti Unify system. Yep. I love it. This is actually what we run in our office and it works really well. The only downside to this is that you have to run the controller on a PC somewhere that is always on. Yep. And if you turn on the guest network, then that that PC has to be running. Otherwise, your guest network is vulnerable. So, you know, that might be a a, a hurdle for some people, but that is not a problem for me because I'm a geek. Of course, I have some spare computers running in my closet all the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is um, definitely more of a pro type system that, you know, you either would have somebody install or take somebody like you to uh, to to do that. But your average consumer probably isn't going to put that in. Now, what I like about it is that over the years, they've come out with newer, cheaper smaller, more capable access points that you can just tie into the same system. Yeah. So you don't have to have like all the same thing around your house. I have a an AC 5 gigahertz, I think that's right, connection for my office. But then at the other end of the house, I just have one of the old 2.4 older ones. That I think N is the fastest that it goes. But... You know, it it all works pretty well together. Nice. So I'm going to wrap this discussion with how do I control all this stuff? Obviously, voice is is one way, but then I also have some control interfaces. On the voice side, I'm kind of all in on Amazon at this point. In fact, I just on Prime Day traded in my original first gen Echo and with the trade-in and the Prime Day discount, ended up paying $9 for a new Echo. Not a dot, an actual Echo. Cool. Which is kind of amazing. I didn't know they did trade-ins. I, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. So that and that is um, one of what are seven rooms around my home that have echoes in them. I have it in the kitchen, the sunroom, the family room, my office, our gym in the basement, the master bathroom, and then there's one in the laundry room on my Sonos One. You know, so it's not really an echo, but we have the assistant on the Sonos there. And are those all big echoes or dots or they right now are all dots. The one in the kitchen will 
go back to being a full echo as it was when we first had it. My first one was just by itself and it was in the kitchen. So I've tried the dot in the kitchen and I just don't really like it as much. So we're kind of switching that out and we're going to use the new echo in there. Yeah. Definitely having a bigger speaker in a space like a kitchen is, is nice to have. Yeah, because I use that a lot also just as a Bluetooth speaker. If I'm listening to podcasts and doing something in the kitchen, then I'll connect to that and listen to whatever I'm playing on my phone through the that speaker instead of just through my AirPods or whatever those things are called that I stick in my ear. Then we also have the Nest Hub. I think I've talked about that in the past. That's the small screen. I think it's a 7-inch or 8-inch screen from Google, recently renamed the Nest Hub. And I use that as an alarm clock. So I am using the Google Assistant in the bedroom. And that takes some getting used to because everywhere else I'm calling her name. And in there, I'm asking Google to do stuff for me. But I kind of, I think I've mentioned this before. I kind of like Google better. So once, once it has all the skills I need, we'll have to see what happens with Lady A. And then I still use Siri for some stuff. Like I use Siri to control my Hue lights because they're on HomeKit and I seem to get better results from that than I do if I'm trying to control them through my Echo devices. Oh man, that can be really frustrating too sometimes when, you know, one system doesn't seem to respond and then you go through another one. It's like, uh, it can be a nightmare sometimes. Yeah, so I've basically just given up on changing color through an Echo. I just always go to Siri for it because it seems to work better for some reason. Interesting. Now, for physical control, I have a combination of apps and keypads and stuff like that. So I mentioned that I have Insteon keypads. I use Scenes extensively in Insteon. And by the way, if you have Insteon and you're not using Scenes, you're doing it wrong. What do I mean? call me. Like, we need to talk. Scenes are really, really powerful in Insteon, and it's what kind of keeps everything in sync. So what I do is I have scenes for timers. Uh, Sunrise, sunset, wake up time, go to bed time. And then I have scenes for any time that I have maybe multiple switches or a keypad controlling something. And I have these keypads that they make all over my house. I would I would venture to say that nearly every room in the house has an Insteon keypad in it. And I might have some scenes for the room, like clean the room, which will turn all of the lights on in that room and then turn them back off again. Or in the dining room, I have a dine scene and then I have a uh, just an accent scene. Like if we're not in the room, but we just want some accent lights on in there. So I find scenes to be incredibly useful and those keypads to be very, very useful. And I probably use them more than any app and even more than voice to control things around my home. I don't know if I've mentioned on this show or not, but in my spare time, I work on an application designed to control Insteon products called Homeboy. And not surprisingly, I use Homeboy a lot in my home. So if I'm controlling Insteon devices and I'm doing it from an app, 
then in all likelihood, I'm using Homeboy for that. I don't really use the Instan app to control anything or any other third-party app. I'm using the thing that that I work on, which kind of makes sense. And we built it in a way that would make sense to us. And so it's kind of ideal for me. Yeah. It's always good to eat your own dog food in, in ways like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, Adam, but one of my favorite smart home devices is really the cheapest smart home device that I have in my home. And I have a number of these to control lights or to control my shades. And that's the Pico remote. $16 for this little remote that fits perfectly in a Decora mounted plate on the wall and looks like other switches that you might have there, particularly if you have Lutron switches. And these things I think are just fantastic. When I had Staples Connect, you could program a Pico remote to control anything, anything at all. So I would have it set to like put the movie lights on movie mode or, or change their color or be able to dim them up and down. And that was amazing. And then Staples Connect shut down and suddenly you could only use Pico remotes with Lutron. And those, they don't speak to you or any other things. So I through some forum posts and uh, some information that I found online, wrote up a hack, if you will, that lets you use a Lutron lamp module as kind of a proxy for the Pico remote. And then I use HomeKit scenes to take the status of that proxy module whether it's on or if it's at 50% or it's at 75% or 100%, and based on where it's set, then turn some scene on. And I wrote something up at the Digital Media Zone on how you can do this. It's really reliable, actually, and a very clever way of solving a problem that I wish Lutron would just solve by exposing their Pico remotes to HomeKit. Yeah. But they haven't yet, so... You know, we have a hack. I I also have a tablet mounted on my kitchen wall. And, you know, when you go into high-end smart homes and you see that they have these expensive controllers from Crestron or Control 4 or something like that, either installed on the wall or on a countertop or something like that, those owners paid like a thousand bucks for that thing, probably minimum. I ended up buying an iPod mini, an iPad mini, sorry, and a mounting kit on Amazon. And for under $500, I have a wall tablet that can control anything because it has all my apps on it. So we use it probably most to control Sonos. I have a weather app that's kind of beautiful. So we just kind of keep that up all the time when we're not using it for something else. And I also have some smart home apps that I'll periodically use there. So that's actually really convenient and solves my screen in the kitchen problem. Probably not as well as some of these newer countertop devices do with the assistants, but so far it's pretty good for me. And, you know, even Google Home can run on it and it's pretty slick. And then the final piece of all of this is putting it all together with automation. And so for that, I use Stringify. Oh, wait, no, that shut down two weeks ago. 
So I can't use that anymore. So for that, I use a combination of smart things and IFTTT and HomeKit because one system won't control all the things that I have and do all the things that I want. So kind of a Frankenstein system. Today, hopefully over time, all of those will fall into one of those buckets. Yeah, hopefully. And I'm secretly hoping that it's HomeKit, maybe not so secretly. Yeah, I think that one probably has the most potential to eventually fill all those needs, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. All right, so to wrap up the stuff that I have in my home, I'm going to talk for a a little bit before we get out of here about the stuff that I have been testing and reviewing. All of these are review units that I have from vendors to try out. I have the Baldwin Evolved Lock. And if you're not familiar with that, that is essentially Kivo for Baldwin. It's all the same company. It's just packaged differently in the higher end, higher priced products that Baldwin is known to sell. It has all the problems that Kivo has. (laughs) So if you've heard people talk about their Kivo, some people love them. Some people are frustrated with them. I'm kind of on the frustrated end right now, particularly since this is a higher priced product. I would have hoped that they had kind of worked through any of the learnings that they might have had from their installation in quick set locks. But uh, so far, it's give or take on this. I, I, I can't really give this one a vote yet. And I've had this one installed for over a year. I've had representatives from Baldwin at the house, trying to work with me to uh, get it working properly. And it just constantly ends up not working the way that I want it to. Not sure what's going on there. I also have a ring transformer. I haven't hooked this up yet. We talked about this in our last episode where we discussed the outside lighting. This is the thing that lets you hook your existing in-ground lighting into your ring ecosystem. I love this concept. I don't know where I'm going to install this yet. So I'm, what I'm probably going to do is put some additional new outdoor lighting in myself out in the backyard and hook them up to this sometime this summer. Very cool. I am testing the Harmony Express remote. This is the new relatively expensive. No, not relatively. This is the new expensive Harmony remote that has... Amazon's assistant on board. It's a really cool concept. It feels like a compromise because they are all in on voice and not so much on the buttons. Yeah, that thing has like no buttons. Nine buttons to control everything in your AV system. Maybe that works if all you have is a smart TV and nothing else. But for me, it's such a compromise. Like you can't switch sources without asking by voice to switch to the other device. And and that alone just pisses me off. Yeah, that's rough. So it's a cool idea. I think it needs a little bit of uh, refinement before it's going to be fully ready. I also have a TiVo Bolt. I've been a longtime TiVo user. I had one of the early day direct TV TiVo boxes from like, 20 some years ago and have had TiVo in my home for the most part since then. And I continue to really like TiVo. I think they're doing some innovative stuff. 
they're kind of an underdog because people are like, oh, TiVo still exists. Yes, actually it does. And it's probably the best DVR out there right now. And you're like, DVRs, that's not a thing anymore. People stream everything. Yeah, but believe it or not, as of like the end of last year, over 50% of homes still have DVRs in them. Yeah. Yeah, I was a huge longtime TiVo fan. I probably got one... I don't know, 15, almost 20 years ago, super early on. I think it was a Series 2 was the first one I got. Okay, yep. And uh, we had TiVos in our house for a number of years until about, I don't know, I would say about a year ago when we finally pulled the plug, canceled the cable subscription, went all in on streaming. And, you know, I do miss it from time to time. I think I actually find we're probably watching less TV now. Um, which is mostly a good thing. And streaming works most of the time. Uh, just last week, I had to uh, text my brother-in-law and be like, hey, quick, can I have your password for your streaming TV service? Because I also canceled DirecTV Now, which I had that was kind of my catch-all. So I still basically ha- right. had cable. Um, but I got yep. I got pissed at them because they jacked the price up. I had a really good deal early on. It was like 30 30 bucks a month for all the channels and they just kept slowly ratcheting the price up and they wanted like 50 or 60 bucks a month, which just wasn't worth it for me for how little we used it. Yeah. So I'm all in on that streaming life now. Interesting. Yeah. I'm still connected to cable. I haven't given up on that yet. I have gotten rid of all my premium stuff though, but we use that for cable. It's also a 4k capable box that has apps on it. I don't like the apps as much as the apps on Apple TV or other devices because the vendors don't tend to keep them up as much. Yep. So they're usually older versions or just not getting the love that they need. And that's really something that TiVo needs to work on if they're going to be competitive in that space. But they do cool stuff like they connect to IFTTT. So you can have notifications appear on your TV screen, for example, if your doorbell rings or if something else happens that you want to be notified about. And similarly, when certain things happen, like, for example, if the parent code is entered to disable parental controls, IFTTT can do something for you. Maybe send a notification or turn the red lights and sirens on everywhere in the home or something. So <laughs> so you can kind of keep tabs on if your kids are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. And then the final thing I'm going to talk about is uh, a product called the HD Home Run Servio. This is also a DVR. This very much like the, uh, I believe it's called the Amazon Replay, if I have that right. I always get this this device name wrong, but it basically they're over the air DVR that works on the network. You basically plug it into the network, you plug the cable into it, and then you use your Apple TV to watch TV channels from over the air. HD Home Run Servio is the exact same sort of thing, except it's much, much smaller. It's actually cheaper, except on Prime Day. And it's um, it, it has storage built in, and I'm, I think I have a quad version of this. So four tuners. I also have their network tuner for cable. So this allows me to use their apps to also watch cable TV 
anywhere on my home on any device, a tablet, a phone, my computer, any TV. So uh, it, it's a pretty cool thing as well. And you like that better than streaming through the TiVo app or something like that? I find the TiVo app for live streaming to be very slow and not always reliable. Yeah, that was kind of the experience when I used it too. I, I've been looking at this HD home run stuff at some point, maybe like get a digital uh, antenna or tuner because um, mm-hmm. we have pretty good signal um, in, in the Chicago area to pick up just the local channels for when there's stuff there, which would solve my problem sometimes when I need to look at something live that doesn't isn't accommodated in my streaming services. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So that pretty much wraps up my connected home. And like we expected, we probably filled a whole show with just me, Adam. Yes, very true. And your list is longer. So the next one is going to be even more fun. Okay. So uh, now listener Anthony uh, sent in the question, what new smart home gadgets are you eyeing? And uh, what do you want to add to your home, Richard, in the next six months or so? So I've been looking at a couple things, and I'm glad you said six months or so, because we may have to wait that long for these. I'm really intrigued by IKEA's new smart shades that are coming out. I believe they're called Future. And they were originally supposed to come out early this year. Then they were supposed to come out in August. Now they're supposed to come out in October. I'm hoping we're going to see them this year. Yeah, we'll see. But they're really inexpensive roller shades. So I think that's going to be very compelling, particularly since you're going to be able to connect it with all the other IKEA Home Smart stuff that you have. Like if you're using toy-free lights, and that means that they are going to be HomeKit compatible as well, just like much of the other HomeSmart products from Ikea. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to these. And I'm trying to hold off on a room that during the summer is getting so much heat right now. And I keep saying, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Ikea's having these cool shades that are coming out. We'll get those. We'll get those. Now, if I can't wait that long, there's a new product that is just coming out now from the makers of MySmart Blinds called MySmart Roller Shades. Their product is a retrofit kit for roller shades to make them smart, to roll them up and roll them down. And you might say, well, how can you do that? Well, because roller shades are more or less pretty standard in how they're built. And so they've created a retrofit kit that basically lets you dump out all the innards that are in there and put their a battery pack and controller inside the shade tube. And then that will actually control it again with their app through Bluetooth or through the bridge that hopefully they'll be improving at some point in time. But if they work as well as they, they do with the smart blinds that just control themselves based on heat and everything, then I'm not so worried about the hub not working properly. And then the other thing I'm really interested in is I want to get a smart lock for my back door. The back door is the door that the cleaning people 
use when they come in. It's the door that our dog walker uses. And so I'd really like to be able to take everybody's keys back and just have codes for people that I can enable and disable. Yeah, it's so nice to do that once you have a, a smart lock uh, with a keypad. And it's nice that you can also do the codes that only work in a certain time period or they only work temporarily. So it's nice and makes things very flexible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and if you have a smart home question for us, you can send it our way with the hashtag Ask Smart Home Show. And uh, we'll pick a question or two every show to include. All right. Well, that is going to wrap this show. Adam, where can people find you online and find out more about what's going on at ConnectSense? Yeah. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice or find everything that my company is doing at ConnectSense.com. All right, cool. And you can find me over at thedigitalmediazone.com. I'm on Twitter as at Richard Gunther. And the Smart Home Show is part of technology.fm, where you can find it and a collection of other tech-focused podcasts, including hometech.fm, the Food Tech Show, and my other show, Home On. You can find us and all these other podcasts in Apple Podcasts, Overcast and other podcatchers. And do us a favor, leave us a rating or a review or tell a friend about the show so they can learn and enjoy as well. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>